everybody, welcome back to To The Point. I'm your host, Noah Warren. Hope you all had a great extended weekend. I was off on Friday, ended up going uh, hiking to Fundy National Park, which was a cool experience. Got been there a few times, but this time I went solo and checked out some trails. Before we get to the sports, ended up getting lost for about an hour and a half, found this cool waterfall, and I was on top of a hill, ended up trying to scale down it, and I did, but then there was no way to get back up without climbing the hill, and my feet were soaked and things of that nature, so I did not want to risk doing that. It was a risk enough to go down, so about an hour and a half of me traversing aimlessly in the wilderness, ended up finding the trail. Just by happenstance, no signal, nothing to help me, no map. I actually, to be honest, I had a little bit of water. So it could have been a survivalist type situation for years truly. It was early in the afternoon, so I did have plenty of daylight. I was not even close to the, you know, panic meter, if you will. I was not I was not there yet. I still had phone battery, so all, all those the necessaries to potentially save myself. But it was interesting, you know, I think it kind of taught me to just relax, not panic. I knew I was going to find my way. It's just the way it works. I think for most people, you'll find your way of obviously hear those horror stories about a bear being around or or something uh, of that nature. But it it worked out for me. It it did work out for me. I found the trail, ended up getting back to my truck, and I'm still here to tell the story today. Actually... In the middle of the woods, I was it was a 20 kilometer hike. I did not see one animal. I did not see a squirrel. I did not see a chipmunk, toad, anything. Not one animal on my travels through. Just thought I might see a couple of moose by the water, which I was near. Nothing. So, no animals, which I guess is a good thing. But I love animals. I'd like to see some animals. I'm an animal lover for sure. But that was my day on Saturday. Hope you guys all had a great, uh, for, sorry, Friday. Hope you guys all had a great weekend. We're back for a full, for a full leg this week. Tomorrow, Seamus will be on per usual on Tuesdays. Casey Ward will join his normal time slot for Friday for Big Money Fridays as we preview NFL Week 9 and uh, look ahead to the college football weekend. So big week here on the podcast, a lot to dive into. And today, going over the NFL from over the weekend. Got some got some opinions, I got some theories and just overall takes on in their seasons, although it's extremely difficult to do that this year. It's basically just a week-to-week basis because making declarative statements is a loser's race right now. Because if you make a declarative statement, you're wrong. And I don't really like being wrong, but I look at the games and I try to figure out where this is going to go. We're halfway through the season. So where do, where do, where does this go? Today's the last day of October. Wow. Also today we'll talk about the World Series. Two, first two games are in the books. Game three tonight in Philadelphia. So we'll talk about the first two games. And then there's this story about a team that plays in Canada in the National Hockey League that – it's interesting, but not as interesting as people make it seem, but I will touch on it today. No breaking news from that team yet. I'll keep you in suspense with what team I'm talking about. 
just here's a hint. It's not Montreal. It's not Winnipeg. It's not the Alberta team. It's not from BC. And it's not Ottawa. So if you can use deductive reasoning to find out which team I'm talking about, good on you. Although I'm not trying to hide it very well. But today I'm starting with the NFL, and I'm starting with a general thought. In life, I have found in my 24 years that often as humans, we hold on to our pride. And sometimes in life, we just we don't want to apologize for something that we didn't think we did wrong. It can be with a loved one. It can be with a, a business partner. You just... You look at your situation and you say, I was right, they were wrong, and you're unwilling to move from your position. And this can hurt you because it might hurt your relationship. You might never get it back. You might miss months of that relationship, that friendship, you know, relationship. I'm, I'm morphing them all together. That could have been great. You could have spent time together. Your friendship could have blossomed. You could have had good conversations. Just general life stuff, right? And I think in life, Oftentimes, we are too stubborn. I know I am. I'm a stubborn person. I believe what I believe. I am not afraid to say it. I see what's happening right now with Kyrie Irving and Kanye West and all these anti-Semitic racist people, and it drives me crazy. It drives me nuts. And I have a hard time not linking Elon Musk in the middle of them because he seems to be promoting that kind of speech. But that's not what I'm talking about today. But again, in life, you can do things where sometimes you're not even wrong. The person that you're you're close to may be wrong themselves, but they are not as willing to give in as you are. Or you might be too tightly wound and you're unwilling just to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry is not that difficult of a thing to say. It's just getting past the, I'm losing this debate or I'm, 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 look, uh, I'm appearing like a weaker person. And oftentimes... That is such a detriment to life and just being happy. How I connect this to football this week is we see in sports, general managers select players in the draft. And oftentimes general managers and front office people make a selection that they know right away is a wrong one. But because they took a player with a high draft pick, because they don't want to seem incompetent for drafting the wrong guy when there's a quarterback, when there's a you know, skilled center that went behind them, you stick with that player just to show people that, you know what, I wasn't wrong. I can turn this guy into something. And at the end of the day, that player ends up being cut and you end up being fired. Now, in professional sports, this is my connection to not admitting you're wrong to just biting your hand to spite your face. Just taking the position that because I drafted this player, I have to stick with him. I will not pivot off this bad decision. But in life, it is my philosophy that when you make a mistake, you can admit that you made a mistake. This is something I've grown into. And in pro sports, we don't see it enough. How many players were given longer leashes than they should have just because they were taken with a high draft pick? Given extra years on a contract where the organization damn, they knew damn well, this isn't the right selection. This isn't the smart move. We should be do, doing something different right now. 
this ideology, this thought, it epitomizes the New York Jets. The New York football Jets, the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 have one of the most talented rosters in all of football, and I am not being hyperbolic. Garrett Wilson, a stud wide receiver, a great pick with the 10th pick in the draft. Elijah Vera Tucker, an old lineman who they took 17th overall in the draft, made a Pro Bowl in his rookie year, would have been a Pro Bowler this year if he didn't tear his ACL. How about Brees Hall, second-round running back? Looked pretty good before he tore his ACL, right? Pretty good selection, another good draft pick. Leonard Williams, blossomed into something great. Quinnen Williams looks pretty good as well. The New York Jets have a team full of talent. So this pick that they made where they had the second pick in the draft two years ago. And they took a quarterback by the name of Zach Wilson out of BYU. And let's be honest here, folks. Zach Wilson was the wrong selection for the New York J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Zach Wilson is not going to be a great NFL quarterback. Zach Wilson is destined to be a backup or out of the league in the next two to three years. You know why? Because he doesn't know the position. Zach Wilson has arm talent. Zach Wilson has legs. Zach Wilson has the tangibles. He doesn't have the intangibles. He doesn't have the brain to figure out football. He doesn't have the Tom Brady, the Peyton Manning, the greats gene where they, they didn't have his physical gifts, but they knew the game better. They were smarter. They made good decisions. Zach Wilson is a bad pick. It happens. The New York Jets have been drafting bad quarterbacks for seemingly 30 years. Mark Sanchez was the hero quarterback for the New York Jets. Everybody remembers Joe Namath. That was in the 80s. That was a long damn time ago that Joe Namath was leading the Jets to their only Super Bowl championship. Since then, it's been a plethora of crap at the position. Wrong, wrong, wrong. But the difference now for the Jets is they have a competent general manager who I just pointed out has drafted many, many great players. Has hired a good head coach, in my opinion. The New York Jets have just a sense of calm. There's no panic. It's not like the old days with the Jets where you knew it was going to come coming down like a goddamn Jenga puzzle. But in this instance, the New York Jets could do two things. One is absolutely critical. The second is just a thought from me that they probably won't do, but I think they should. The first thought, the New York Jets are 5-3. and three. The New York Jets still have to play the Bills twice. They still have to play the Dolphins with Tua, and they have another game against the New England Patriots. The New York Jets are not going to be a playoff team this year. Brees Hall, Baratuck injuries. Also, Zach Wilson's play. The New York Jets will maybe finish 500, but they will not be a playoff team. With this talented roster, with a number two overall, the quarterback ain't it. You do not double down. You do not bring back a problem. You do not bring back a mistake 
just to show that you were right. You were right on other drop picks. You were right on wide receiver, running back, tackle, corner. You made great selections. The quarterback position was a fail. Was an F. But Joe Douglas. But Jets Brass. Gary V, if you're listening, you want to own the team someday. Don't double down on a mistake. What the Jets need to do this offseason is move on from Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson is not the answer long term. Zach Wilson is not going to lead the Jets to playoff games, to Super Bowls. Jack, Zach Wilson is a dead-end street. You're going to drive down and realize we have nowhere else to go. We got a cliff, and I'm going to back up. I got nowhere to turn around. I'm stuck. And you waste years of prime talent from Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, and before you know it, your window is closing. Windows close so quickly in the NFL. Sauce Gardner is going to be a pro bowler as a rookie. Maybe an all-pro. He's playing at that kind of a level. But you saw yesterday, Zach Wilson threw two of the ugliest interceptions you'll ever see. And this is not even the one before half, which was terrible as well. In the third quarter, he threw two interceptions. Both of them, he's scrambling, he's in, he's outside the pocket, and he's just, he's one in the air hoping for a gift. Nowhere close. Devin McCourty makes an interception while he tries to throw it out of bounds. Next one, Devin McCourty's in the same place, intercepts the ball. He has three interceptions for the day. The Jets defense sacked Mac Jones seven times and kept him to 50% on third down. Not to mention Ramondre Stevenson had more yards in the receiving game than he did running the football. The Jets defense came to play. They lost this game because their quarterback was not great. And Zach Wilson lost to Mac Jones. Mac Jones is not a great quarterback. Mac Jones is as average as it gets. His bad interception early in the game. He gets sacked seven times. He doesn't know what he's doing. The Patriots don't know what they're doing. And they got to go there too. This offseason, the Jets need to move off of Zach Wilson, period. He is not a solution. He is a mistake. You can draft one. You can move up. You got all kinds of picks. In this draft, in the first round alone, CJ Stroh will be going in the first round. Bryce Young will be going in the first round. Guaranteed Hedden Hooker will be going in the first round. If there is somebody you like, trade up and get him. That's my advice for the New York Jets is get off of Zach Wilson. Don't double down on a mistake. If you have the opportunity and you have a quarterback that is in the draft that you really like, take him. Take him and do not just say, okay, we're going to stick with Zach Wilson. He'll have a full year with all this talent. He can have a full year with all the talent in the world. He's not going to be a great quarterback. It's just not going to happen. Matt Flynn had a bunch of talent in Green Bay. He had no he had no success in the league. Guys have all kinds of options when it comes to receivers. It just doesn't click for them. 
To me, Zach Wilson's not going to be a great NFL quarterback. He's going to be a backup or out of the league. That's where I, That's what I see from him. Second thought is they won't do this, but Joe Flacco gives the Jets a better chance to win this season than Zach Wilson. Joe Flacco's won a Super Bowl. He's not great. I'm not saying that. But I, I believe, truly, that Joe Flacco starting the rest of the year would give the Jets a better chance of making the postseason. He would keep them more competitive in these games. The Jets beat Miami this year because Tua Tagovailoa didn't play. Period. The Jets pull off an upset in Green Bay that's less and less impressive as the weeks go by. Also, way to go Green Bay for covering that plus 11 last night. Cover the number. 10-point loss. Love that backdoor cover. But Joe Flacco has been in the playoffs. He's played in these big moments. He knows what it's like to play critical football this time of year. I don't believe Robert Sala's job is on the line, so I don't think he'll make that move. But if the Jets truly wanted the best opportunity to make the playoffs, Joe Flacco would be the quarterback. Joe would come in and he'd give this team a chance. He'd give this team a chance to be successful and, and go on a run. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But it's honestly a shame that it doesn't because you're giving a bunch of guys in there that just you're giving them false hope with Zach Wilson, where I think they damn know. They know we're not going anywhere. We're not better than Miami. We're not better than Buffalo, clearly. And with Zach Wilson at quarterback, we're not better than New England. And New England's not a good team. New England is not a good team. Yesterday, offensively, they were just inept but they were better than the Jets. Patriots defense stepped up. Mac Jones made plays when he had to. And, you know, uh, Bill Belichick goes into solo possession of the second most wins in NFL history, passing George Hallis. Now just chasing Don Shula. But, I mean, that's not a Patriots win that you just write home about. That's a Patriots win that you look at and say, uh, okay, we won the game on the road. You'll take that every day of the week. But you saw at the end of the game, Mac Jones was not happy. He got sacked seven times. He doesn't have a good receiving core. I think his playbook's really, really small, really really simple because they don't trust him to be a dynamic playmaker, to be a quarterback that can figure this shit out. New England is not for everybody. Maybe it's not for Mac Jones, because to me, he just seems like a guy that wants better structure, better coaching. And I get it. I don't think there's great coaching in New England right now. Bill Belichick is the greatest coach in the history of the league. No doubt about it. But there's also another truth is that Bill Belichick coaches defense. Bill Belichick is defensive coordinator with his son. On offense, they got Joe Judge, who's a fired head coach, who never should have been a head coach in in uh, New, New York. And then you have a, another fired head coach who shouldn't have been a head coach in Matt Patricia in Detroit. The 
that those are the two guys running the ship on offense, a defensive coach and a special teams guy. That sounds promising. That sounds like something that's going to be really dynamic, that's going to be really scary to opposing teams. Mac Jones with a couple of stooges beside him. That's what I've seen so far this year is Mac Jones just hanging in there, trying to be productive with a couple of hands tied on his back. He went through an injury. It's just it's been a it's been a tough year for him. Patriots are four and four. Dolphins are five and three, so are the Jets. It's a tight division. I don't like to make declarative statements, but I will right now. The Bills will obviously win this division. They won't have more than three losses. I think the Dolphins will be the second team in this division, followed by the Patriots and then the Jets. I mean, the Patriots are just better, top to bottom. But mainly quarterback. I think the Jets roster is really, really good. Their defensive front is good. Their corners are really good. Special teams could use some more work. Fundamentally, it's a good football team. It's a well-coached football team. They don't make stupid decisions. Elijah Moore is a dumb wide receiver, but there's a, there was a lot of dumb play by wide receivers yesterday. It's unfortunate for the Jets. I would go to Joe Flacco. They won't because Zach Wilson was taken second overall, and they need to see what they have in Zach Wilson. They know what they have in Zach Wilson. It's not that impressive, and he played his best quarter of his career in the first quarter against New England, and it lasted a quarter. An impressive quarter, and then it went to complete hell in a game they should have won. In a game a game they should have won yesterday at home, they threw it away because he threw it to Devin McCourty twice. And the stupidest, stupidest interceptions you'll ever see. Congrats to the Patriots, but you're not that good of a team. You beat a bad quarterback, and you're 500. Good for you. I talked about Bill's... Packers before, and we, we oh, pardon me, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady on my mind. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are both three and five. Tom Brady has lost back to back games at home for the first time ever. Incredible. Both players look lethargic. Both players look like they're not having fun playing football. Tom Brady Thursday night was like a petulant child. He was like a whiny little baby in the back of a car that was too hot. He needed some air. He was in that hot Tampa heat, and he needed a breather. He needed to get some air on him, and he bitched and complained the entire night. He makes Sidney Crosby... Look, just normal, normal temperament. Just no whining whatsoever. Tom Brady is taking it to another level of the superstar whiner. Aaron Rodgers doesn't complain as much as he used to. He just says crazy shit in the media, and then you got to dissect it for a week, and then you got to think, well, did this blue of earth, that's the name of his girlfriend, tell him to say this, or I don't know. But both of these guys are three and five and playing pretty horrible. The, New England, the Green Bay Packers played a game last night where the Buffalo Bills in the second half played as bad as you're going to play. Josh Allen had two interceptions, 
They couldn't score in the red area. They made stupid decision after stupid decision. And I, quite honestly, they mailed that half in. I don't know if they took the Packers to cover, if that was their game last night, but the Bills didn't play in the second half. They laid an egg, they didn't compete, and the Packers scored a late touchdown to make it 27-17, which made the win by 10 points when the line was was either 11 or 10 and a half. I took the game, and I know, because Green Bay covered. But the Buffalo Bills played a crap second half against the Packers. Crap. Josh Allen was crap. The defense was crap. Nothing. Nothing positive about that second half from Buffalo. You played half the game you played like shit. And the Packers still had no chance of winning that game. None. I was watching a couple different things. I never felt the Packers were going to win that game. I got through it and said, okay, yep, Packers, I could have turned it off at halftime. I didn't, but I could have because there was no suspense. You know Aaron Rodgers is not going to come back in that team. Romeo Dobbs was dropping passes. Christian Watson got hurt in the first quarter. Go figure, he's always hurt. Sammy Watkins is back, but who cares? They finally start running the turnover on fourth down early in the second quarter. There was nothing. The best thing I can say about Green Bay is they started to run the football with both A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. That's the key to them winning this year. It's not the receiving game. It's not Alan Lazaro who didn't play last night. It's not Romeo Dubs. It's not Christian Watson getting back healthy. It's about running, just establishing the run that can open up play action so that hopefully Aaron Rodgers can hit Romeo Dubs down the field on deep routes. That's all good. This guy's Tanyan dropped a, a big pass last night. Rodgers was pissed. They just they don't have game breakers. They don't have game breakers that Aaron Rodgers is going to trust to give the ball to. Not to mention, that Packers defense was pathetic last night. The Buffalo Bills ran it down their throats, and the Buffalo Bills are not a good running team. Could have been James Cook, could have been Devin Singletary, could have been Josh Allen. They did whatever the hell they wanted against the Green Bay Packers. Their middle of that defense did not want to tackle. Their linebackers just thought whatever happened. And what, what did happen was that guys in the secondary – had to make tackles. Rasul Douglas had to step up and make tackles. Jerry Alexander, linebackers and that front were non-existent. But I mentioned Brady being petulant and shows how these teams are losing it. How about Quay Walker? Lays a big, big hit on Josh Allen. It was a questionable hit. I think it could have been a flag. He ends up on the ground. A Bills personnel person, might have been a coach, tries to help him up. He then shoves the personnel person, and he's ejected from the game middle of the second quarter. Just stupid. Stupid plays that you know can't benefit you. The guy's trying to help you up. You shove him. Why? Why? Because you don't want to play in this team anymore? Because you're quitting? Because the Buffalo Bills are embarrassing you? You don't want to be in the court? You want to be on the field with your team? Matt LaFleur gave him a word. As he was leaving the field, and I would I would handle it this way. He would not be playing next week. He would be a healthy scratch, I tell him today. Don't worry about playing next week. You're a healthy scratch for this team. Because that was just a selfish, selfish decision. It was still a game at that point. It was still a game, yet, and your defense is getting your ass kicked. 
How about you do something about it, instead of getting ejected from the game, shoving a Buffalo Bills personnel person? I still believe that Tampa Bay is in a good position to make the playoffs. That hasn't changed. They're three and five, but the Panthers are two and six. We'll get to that in a second. Saints are now three and five. Snake win yesterday over the Vegas Raiders, who they shut out at home in a, just a puzzling game. And the Atlanta Falcons, after eight weeks, lead this division at four and four. The Arthur Smith Marcus Mariota led team lead the NFC South at four and four after eight weeks. Who saw that coming? The Packers, on the other hand, are three and five, tie with the Chicago Bears, and the Minnesota Vikings are six and one. Minnesota Vikings continue to win football games. They were in a dogfight with the Arizona Cardinals yesterday, but they they win close games. I don't find the Vikings all that impressive, but they find ways to close out games. Kirk Cousins will rush in a touchdown. He'll find Justin Jefferson. He'll do it. They just they find a way. They force turnovers. They intercepted Kyler Murray three times yesterday. Minnesota did enough to win the game coming off a bye. That's all that matters for them. They're 6-1. and one. They're in a great position to go win this division easily this year and guarantee yourself a spot in the playoffs. For Green Bay, you got Detroit next week. That's a game you want. That's a game you want when you're 3-5 and five and you need some confidence because Detroit has none. Detroit has none. With Dan Campbell at the helm, what's going on in Detroit, there is nothing positive coming from there. They're 1-6 again. 4-19-1, Dan Campbell as the head coach of the Detroit Lions. You had a 10-point lead twice in the game yesterday against the Miami Dolphins. For Detroit, Dan Campbell was never the answer as the head coach. But I mentioned earlier, ladies and gentlemen, you don't double down on a mistake. Well, they brought him back for a second year. Felt positive. Well, now you're 1-6. As you move off Jared Goff, likely, and you draft a quarterback this offseason, are you going to give Dan Campbell the keys to the car to develop this rookie and get him into the NFL? Don't waste his time. Dan Campbell will not be there when this quarterback is really good and ready to play at a high level in the NFL. He got signed to a five-year contract. Why? It's beyond me. He was an interim coach once in Miami, was never a head coach again. But Detroit gives him a five-year deal because that's what Detroit does. They do stupid things to hurt them. But Martha Ford owns the Detroit Lions. And it's not lost on me that the worst franchise in football over the last 30 to 40 years is owned by Ford. That might be my bias pointing through here. I hate Ford. It's a shit company. Chev, GM, that's what I was raised on. I don't want to look at them. They're fucking ugly. Detroit Lions, ugly team. I don't really like the blue. Dan Campbell biting the kneecap off. Up, downs, all this crap. Don't double down on a mistake. Move off of Dan Campbell. And how about you hire a coach that 
I don't give a shit if a coach is boring as all get out. Hire a guy that knows football. Not some motivating speech barking clown that's just there to do it. There are reports that Dan Campbell could lose his job if he lost this weekend alongside Nathaniel Hackett. Now, Nathaniel Hackett won his game in London. Dan Campbell lost his game against the the Miami Dolphins. I don't think Detroit's going to fire a coach midseason. You know why? They have no reason to. They know what they are. Their season's done. They still have to play Green Bay twice. They have to play the Vikings again. They got teams in the AFC East that they got to do battle with down the stretch. Why bring an interim? You're paying Dan Campbell another three years after this one. Dan Campbell could be set for life getting fired by the Detroit Lions and then collect a salary from the Detroit Lions for doing nothing. Just think of that. Dan Campbell got a five-year contract. Just word to the wise, don't give an inexperienced head coach a five-year deal unless you really think he's special. And if it's, you think he's special because you're going to bite a kneecap off and he gives really rah-rah speeches, you could hire a, car, a guy who works in the carnival, a carny, to come in and do that for you. You don't got to spend millions of dollars in a five-year contract to get it done. Yearly lease, you can get a guy to come in and give a speech like that. You could probably go online and get a cameo of Herb Brooks or even the actor that played Herb Brooks to come in and give this speech, give the miracle speech to the Detroit Lions before game one next season. Really to fire out the boys, get them in a positive mindset before the start of the season. Don't double down on a mistake. Simple advice, but it's not usually taken or accepted all that easily. What's next? NFL. Oh, quickly. Miami Dolphins, they beat the Lions. They're 5-3. and three. Their wide receiver combination is the most deadly in the NFL. Tyree kills on pace to break records for receiving yards in a season. He had almost, He's averaging over 150 per game this year. But you also have Jalen Waddle, who had two receiving touchdowns yesterday because he can just play off a of Tyreek Hill. This offense is dynamic. This offense has a lot going for it. I think the Dolphins are a decent football team. Their defense could use some work, certainly. I don't love their special teams play. But offensively, Tua continues to get better. No doubt about that. They have great wide receivers, and I think Mike McDaniel is a good play caller. Now, the run game continues to be a kind of an afterthought, but Tua is slinging the football. He is getting more and more. more He looks like a guy that could have a really productive NFL career. That could potentially be a pro bowler. He came back from this head injury. He didn't play great last week against Pittsburgh. And yes, it's against Detroit. It's a bad football team. It's got one of the worst defenses in the NFL. 
but you still have to put up the yards. You still have to do it. And for the Dolphins, making the playoffs this year would be a massive step for them. Getting a wild card position would be massive for the Miami Dolphins. The Bills are going to win that division, but can you make the playoffs in the AFC? If you look at it, you got Bills winning that division. Chiefs, I'm saying, going to win that division. Titans are going to win the AFC South. AFC North, I believe, will go to Baltimore. So then you have Cincinnati. To me, he's going to make the playoffs. I believe that Miami will sneak in there. I think they could be the sixth seed in the AFC. And, and then the seventh spot, it's who knows. I mean, you have the Chargers who believe they're good, but they continue to struggle. The Colts are likely not going to turn it around. Can, can Denver turn it around? Can Vegas? I don't know. Could be, the, could be three teams from the AFC East that makes the playoffs. The Patriots may sneak in there as the seventh spot because there's just no other teams to do it, quite frankly. But it doesn't matter what kind of season it is. If the Dolphins can make the play, it's a massive step up for that franchise who have had no success for a very long time. A credit to Tua and credit to that offense for being as dynamic as they are. Moving on here. Where do we go from here? Seattle. Oh, Seattle. I I love the Seattle Seahawks story. It's true. It's it's gripping me. I love seeing Geno Smith play as well as he he is. And it, I I don't know if we've seen a story like Geno Smith in the NFL. Geno Smith was a backup quarterback for four straight years behind Russell Wilson. Played a total of three games because Russell Wilson was injured last year. Other than that, he sat behind him. He took second string reps. He went Giants, Jets, then he was in Seattle. Now, Geno has the best completing percentage in the NFL. Second best QBR in all of football. And he's leading the Seattle Seahawks to a 5-3 and three record, not to mention the Seattle Seahawks have the best record in the AFC, uh, NFC West. The Seahawks have beaten the 6-2 and two Giants. The Seahawks have beaten the Cardinals. The Seahawks have beaten the Broncos. Kyler Murray, first overall pick. Russell Wilson, a future Hall of Famer. Daniel Jones, sixth overall pick, a quarterback, a 6-2 team. Seattle are beating good teams. Simple as that. The, the Giants are riding high, so much confidence. And what happened yesterday? Oh, yeah. The Seahawks came in and beat them. They won a game where the Giants had no business being in it, but Tyler Lockett seemed to want to keep them in the game. Tyler Lockett, fumble. Leads to, leads to New York Giants touchdown, which was right before the half. Tyler Lockett kept them in it. Then Tyler Lockett dropped a touchdown right in the back of the end zone, right in the bread basket. He drops that. What I love about Geno Smith, to me, when you see somebody make a mistake as a starting quarterback, you don't appreciate that struggle. You don't know what it's going through because you've been a starter your whole life. Geno Smith threw a beautiful pass to Tyler Lockett, and Tyler Lockett dropped it. 
He was wide open. It was an easy six, and but Geno Smith went to the sideline. They had a chat together, and they went on to the next series. What happened the next series? Who did Geno Smith throw the ball to in the back of the end zone? Tyler Lockett, because he trusts him. But my bigger point here is Geno Smith knows what it's like to not get an opportunity or knows what it's like in a sense because you're not the starter. You're not good enough to get on the field, so you're just holding a clipboard. You're listening to the plays, and you're you're standing there as the first-string quarterback gets to play in the game. Tyler Lockett fumbled. He dropped a touchdown. He had a brutal game. It would have been easy for Geno Smith to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go to DK in the next player. Can we check in Marquise Goodwin? Or am I going to go to Noah Fan at tight end? I'm going to do something else. No, he went right back to the guy who's let him down twice in the game for some vindication. For some vindication. Geno Smith is playing incredible football. And this is eight weeks of a sample size. This isn't coming out of nowhere. This is incredible stuff. Leading the AFC, the NFC West, pardon me, after eight weeks. Best completion percentage, second best overall grade in a quarterback after eight weeks in the NFL belongs to Geno Smith. Just to put this into context, the San Francisco 49ers are 4-4 four and four after eight weeks. The Niners dusted the Rams yesterday, which we'll touch on. But to me, the 49ers were my pick to get to the Super Bowl. I certainly did not have the Seattle Seahawks even being in playoff contention, let alone already having five wins. They've been better than San Francisco so far this year. Geno Smith's been better than porn star Jimmy. This San Francisco, these Seattle team's just been consistently better. Los Angeles. <coughs> Pardon me. Los Angeles Rams are three and four. The defending Super Bowl champions have Matthew Stafford, a Hall of Famer? I don't think so, but he'll probably be going into the Hall of Fame. He hasn't done enough yet for me. But you have Matthew Stafford. You have Cooper Cup. And the Seattle Seahawks led by Pete Carroll, who was left for dead by Russell Wilson. Doesn't know what he's doing. Geno Smith and a bunch of cast-offs are, have a better record than the Los Angeles Rams. And finally, the Arizona Cardinals, who paid their quarterback $237 million, who have Cliff Kingsbury, who's an offensive genius, DeAndre Hopkins, Zach Ertz, A.J. Green, Rondale Moore, and the Arizona Cardinals are two games under 500, and Seattle is 1-0 against the Cardinals this season. Seattle has everything you'd want because they have a Pete Carroll team. You have Geno Smith who can make the throws. We also got Kenneth Walker Jr. the third who can break off a run for 70 yards if you make a mistake, which he will. You lose Rashad Penny, you keep Kenneth Walker. He's still got a really good running back. You also got Travis Homer who gets carries. You also got DJ Dallas. You got a deep running back room. You got Lockett, you got Metcalf, you got Marquise Goodwin, you got Cody Parkinson, Noah Fant. You have good weapons. But they also are blossoming a defense. Over the first three weeks of the season, the Seattle Seahawks had the worst rated defense in the NFL. Since then, it's the sixth rated defense. And they have guys that are young. 
that are quickly blossoming into stars. Tariq Woolen is the Nuwaso, the linebacker, is a rookie. He's playing great. And then you have Ryan Neal in his second season who made some incredible plays yesterday, including a third down stop on Matthew Stafford getting a sack late in the third quarter. Sorry, on uh, Daniel Jones late in the third quarter. Uh, mixing up my games. This has been playing really well all year. You're efficient. You're not turning the ball over. You're keeping – you have a chance to win every single game. This first eight weeks in the NFL has made no made no sense. But why can't Seattle keep winning? You look at Seattle. You look at the at the Rams. You look at the Buccaneers. Seattle's been the more competent team. They have more stability. They believe in themselves more. They have an identity. Two of the biggest things for the Rams and the Buccaneers who played in the NFC Divisional Playoff game last year, neither team runs the football. Cam Akers is away from the team because he's away a personal matter. They were running with Rivers last night, a rookie running back for the Rams. He provides nothing, but they don't run the football. The Rams don't run the football, neither do the Buccaneers. Without play action, you are fucked in the NFL because you need to use the run game so that the pass game you can open up so players can get open so you can fire the ball down the field. Teams that are doing this are winning consistently. Why is Seattle 5-3? and Because they have a strong running game. Because they have a good defense. They just play as a team. Tom Brady's 45 years old. He's getting divorced. He has all these things going on in his life. He's throwing the football 50 times a game. It makes no sense, the strategy from Byron Lefwich to have the oldest quarterback to ever play in the league. Yeah, let's make him throw 50 times a game. Not to mention he's one-hopping a bunch of guys. Not to mention he has the lowest, I believe he's got eight touchdown passes through eight games, which is the lowest in his career to start in his first eight games. You don't have an identity, and this other team that is less talented, has a less talented quarterback, is efficient, they have an identity, and they know who they are. Sometimes that identity, sometimes that culture, that being, can be more successful than your than your star power. Look at Tampa. Look at Denver. Look at Green Bay. Look at the Chargers. All these teams that are propped up as Super Bowl contenders are behind teams like Seattle, behind teams like Atlanta, Tennessee, who just find ways to win by doing it whichever way they can. The Tennessee Titans did not have Ryan Tannehill yesterday. He was banged up. Malik Willis, their rookie from Liberty, started the game. Malik Willis clearly was not ready to play in the NFL. It looked that way in the preseason. It was obvious. He threw the ball less than 12 times yesterday, but the Tennessee Titans ran for over 300 yards on the Houston Texans, including over 200 rushing yards from King Derrick Henry. They stuck to an identity. They saw their flaws, but they said, try to stop us. Henry over 200 rushing yards. Dontrell Hill Hilliard almost ran for 100. Malik Willis 
ran for over 25 as well. The team just ran the football down the Houston Texans' throat, and the Texans could not do anything about it. They took their will. Titans have an identity. They have for a long time. Do I think the Titans are good enough to win a Super Bowl? I don't. But part of winning the Super Bowl is getting to the playoffs. Part of that process is winning a division, guaranteeing yourself a spot in the postseason. The Titans are 5-2. and two. I don't get it. Colts are a better team, but the Titans are 5-2. and two. They're winning games without their starting quarterback. Derrick Henry's starting to find his groove once again. They have Dontrell Hilliard, who is a good back who can take some carries off King Henry. Their defense is still very good in Tennessee. They have an identity. They got them the first spot in the AFC last year. They lose their first two games of the season against Buffalo and against Forget, I recall who they lost to in week one now. But since then, they have not lost a game. Five straight, including three, pardon that, four division games for the Tennessee Titans. They have an identity. They win consistently every year. People don't get it, including me, but they win. I mean, I watched the Rams yesterday. I mentioned they don't run the football. Their defense was also not good enough. Their defense gave up big play after big play. Two things can be true. Christian McCaffrey had an excellent game yesterday for the San Francisco 49ers. But at the same time, how can Christian McCaffrey have a 30-yard pass down the field wide the hell open for a touchdown? That's a breakdown. That's not knowing what's going on in the field. How about him breaking off a run going in for a touchdown? Him catch, getting a receiving touchdown. The Rams pass rush not getting any pressure on Jimmy G. He went two for 21 for 25, 235 and two scores and didn't turn the ball over. The Rams had a great first half where I said this offense looks like it can do something. It looks productive. They're using Allen Robinson more. It's not so predictable. But we get to the second half. And I look at it and say, when it came down to it in the second half, San Francisco owns the Rams. They're not afraid to play them anywhere. They think they can beat them. But also, San Francisco was, was without Debo Samuel yesterday. Their most explosive offensive player. A game breaker if there ever was one. And San Francisco still has game breakers where I don't think the Rams, they might have one, but it's a limited game breaker. Brandon Ayuk was Debo Samuel yesterday because Debo wasn't there. He was used in the same role. He was using jet sweeps. He, he ran the football a few times. They caught him running slants over the middle, and he's so damn fast, he's hard to bring down. How about Christian McCaffrey? CMC is absolutely a game breaker. He changes this offense and creates different opportunities for guys on the field. San Fran has all kinds of game breakers, guys that can just change a game by, by utilizing their skill to create a big play. The Rams, Allen Robinson is not a game breaker. Tyler Higby is not a game breaker. And Cooper Cup is still one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, no doubt about it. But Cooper Cup is a possession receiver. 
Cooper Cup's a guy that catches the ball and he gets you a key first down. He fights for extra yardage. He's not a guy that's going to catch a ball and go for 80 yards often. That's not his game. That's not what he's bred to be, and that's not his fault. Van Jefferson has not proven to be a game-breaker in the NFL. He has a case of the drops. Deshaun Jackson is not coming through the door. He's in ball. He's OBJ coming to the Rams. Well, apparently he's not going to be ready until December. So that's a whole other month. That's four games this month that you're going to miss. Looking ahead, Rams-Bucks was an intriguing game at the start of the season because you thought these two teams could be meeting in the NFC Championship game if all things go well for these teams. This game is now interesting because you have the 3-5 and five Bucks hosting the 3-4 and four Rams. Seattle has the Cardinals this week. They've already beaten the Cardinals. Now they go to Arizona. I think Seattle can win that game. I think Seattle's a much better team than Arizona. Arizona's 3-5. and five. It's a must-win for them to stay in the hunt to make the postseason. Seattle could improve to 6-3. and three. The Rams could be 3-5. and freaking five. Then you're battling for a wild-card spot, and you're clinging to life at that point. Now, I think the Rams need to make a trade at running back. Kareem Hunt plays for the Cleveland Clowns. He's a former Pro Bowler. They are taking offers on Kareem Hunt. The trade deadline is tomorrow in the National Football League. The Rams need to trade for him. They do not have a running back. You've went all in. You don't have draft picks. Aaron Donald came back. Matthew Stafford's under contract. This is about this season, making the playoffs and going on another run and trying to win a Super Bowl. Without trying to establish a run, you are going to go nowhere with how this offense is built, how it's played right now. Kareem Hunt used to be a number one running back. He went to Cleveland. He lost that because Nick Chubb is the best running back in the NFL. But you have the opportunity to be a running back one in Los Angeles. I think he'd welcome that opportunity. They don't have high draft picks. They'll have to find a way to get Kareem Hunt to Los Angeles. But next year doesn't matter. It's about right now for the Rams. You sold the farm to win a Super Bowl last year. Why not try to win a second one with all the same pieces in play? Maybe you get Odell Beckham Jr., you get Kareem Hunt, you get two former Cleveland Browns, and you bring him in. But if you go 3-5 and five after next weekend, you're in deep, deep trouble. But you get the struggling Bucks, who are 3-5. and five. And yes, the Falcons only have a game lead on them, but it's a game lead. The Falcons should have beat the Bucs the first time. I said that, but they were gifted by a flag because Tom Brady was playing, playing in the game for roughing the Brady. The Falcons just give it their all every week. But the Atlanta Falcons, who were favored for the first time in a game this season yesterday, should have lost their game yesterday as I transition into this. I mentioned Quay Walker of Green Bay, his stupidity. Then there's DJ Moore and just stupidity galore. So I'm watching a bunch of games yesterday, and I get down to Ram uh, Falcons-Panthers, close game. 
Falcons go down the field, score a touchdown. Tyler Algier gets a rushing touchdown. Falcons are up by by six points late in the game. But then DJ Moore, who is a great receiver, who can be a pro bowler, and P.J. Walker, who had a great second half and is becoming a decent former XFL MVP, he throws a beautiful pass right down the middle, and somehow the, the secondary doesn't think, let's cover D.J. Moore. He gets by them. They don't, they're not playing nothing cheap, nothing deep. Like Just keep it in front of them. He gets behind these defenders, a beautiful ball from P.J. Walker. D.J. Moore catches it, touchdown, tie ball game. Tie ball game at 31. Meaning, if the Falcons kick an extra point, they will, sorry, the, the Panthers, they kick an extra point, they will win the football game. But DJ Moore catches the touchdown. He's fired up. The game's in Atlanta. He wants to show off a little bit. What happens? He takes his helmet off in the end zone. And here's just a, if you didn't know this, you take your helmet off after scoring a touchdown. It's a flag. It's ruled unsportsmanlike. It's just it's not allowed. You can hate the rule all you want. I get it. It seems juvenile. It just seems like it's not necessary. But it's a rule. A rule is a rule. I don't like the speed. I don't like the uh, the speed going through Minto all the way to get to the Salmon River Road. But guess what? It's the speed limit. You got to deal with with what's in front of you. Sometimes it's just. This is this is it. it is what it is and do it just deal with it. He takes his helmet off. 15-yard penalty for the Panthers. So that moves the point after attempt back. Out comes Eddie Pinero. And here's how you know it's not going to be a good end to the story, ladies and gentlemen. Because Eddie Pinero used to be a Bears kicker, and now he's on another team. That's all you need to know. So what happens? Eddie Pinero misses the point after attempt. That would have won the Panthers the game, and put them in sole possession of first in the NFC South at 3-5 and five after trading all the pieces, after they're tanking. Nope. DJ Moore's stupidity, Eddie Pinero's lack of clutch ability, kicking a football, he misses the extra point. We go to overtime, and what, what, what happens? Oh, yeah, the Falcons win the football game. They improve to 4-4. Four and four. DJ Moore, again, Steve Wilkes, who's an interim coach, he's not going to be back next year. This team's playing hard for him. I get that. P.J. Walker's playing for a next contract. He's playing as hard as he possibly can. He's playing well. If I'm a teammate on that team and I care about winning, I care about what I'm doing on the field. I'm not just trying to tank. I'm not trying to be a phony here. I'm trying to win games. I am so livid at P.J. at DJ Moore, it's crazy. It's a selfish, idiotic thing. All you have to do, catch a touchdown, keep your helmet on. Get to the sideline, and guess what? Then you can take your helmet off. It's just stupidity at its finest for DJ Moore. You had it. You had the win. You had the extra point. You were going to be first in the NFC South. Now you're two and six, and you're likely fucked. You weren't going to make the playoffs anyway, but again, you would have been in the mix. Every team in that division would have been three and five. NFC South, Saints are three and five now. 
the fraudulent Saints have the same record as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's how bad the Bucs have been this season with Tom Brady. The Saints, with Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle, have the same record. I mentioned Dan Campbell, who might get fired after his second season with the with the um, with the Detroit Lions. Josh McDaniels, who's a great offensive coordinator in New England for a long time with Tom Brady and the whole lot. I think he's going to get fired after one year in Las Vegas. Why do I say that? Well, the team's two and five. The team is two and five, and they got shut out yesterday against the New Orleans Saints with Andy bleeping Dalton. Derek Carr did not throw for 100 yards. Josh Jacobs did not run for 30 yards. And there was an hour meeting between the owner and Josh McDaniels before he did his press conference last night in Louisiana. That's his second meeting with the owner after a loss this year alone. Two meetings after games for over an hour where he had to meet with the owner and talk about God knows what. It doesn't, again, he wasn't a good coach in Denver. They gave him an extra year. He was fired four games in to that next season. If you have an inkling that this coach is not going to work out and that you need to do something different, do it. Don't bring him back next year if you think it's going to be a failure. If you even consider that it's not going to go well, do something different. Raiders are in a tough spot. I thought they could turn it around because they had an easier schedule. They had the Saints who are wounded, who had no receivers, and you lost by 24 points. Now the Saints are 3-5. and five. But the Raiders got Chandler Jones under contract. They got Max Crosby under contract. They had Devontae Adams under contract. They obviously have Derek Carr under contract. Maybe it's time to blow up the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Because this group of players isn't getting it done. Yes, they did make the playoffs last year, but it's a colossal disaster this year. And it's not like the AFC West is completely loaded. Yeah, Kansas City's there. Chargers are average at best, and you got let's ride with Russell Wilson, the fraud himself, who are three and five. Good luck to the Raiders. Good luck to Josh McDaniels. I think your days are numbered in Las Vegas because of just how inept you have been as a head coach in your career. Lasted 21 games in Denver. I don't think he lasts 21 games in Vegas. Keep that receipt. We also got breaking news here on the podcast. The Buffalo, uh, sorry, the Chicago Bears have traded their star uh, linebacker, Roquan Smith, who's been a multiple-time Pro Bowler, a really good player in the National Football League. He's been traded to the Baltimore Ravens. So the Ravens pick up Roquan Smith. He'll be in that really interesting trade. I believe it's draft picks going back. But, again, a guy who – a linebacker is not the most important position in the NFL anymore. But Baltimore's defense has been the, the biggest weakness on their team. I would have said corner could have been a helpful add. But the Bears traded Robert Quinn last week to the Philadelphia Eagles. Roquan Smith is now going to be a Baltimore Raven. Trade deadlines tomorrow. If you can do whatever you can to help your team, do it. No news yet on the return for Roquan Smith. 
but he's been traded to the Baltimore Ravens. So I'm thinking you got Chuck Clark in the safety. You got still got Warmly. You got uh, obviously you got some good pass rushers. I still worry about Marcus Peters in the secondary. He seems to get torched every single week. He gets a lot of flags as well, but I, I like the ad from Baltimore. They added Deshaun Jackson, who can maybe has a few big plays left in him in those legs. I think Baltimore can get to the Super Bowl in the AFC. I really do. The Bills don't scare me as much as other people. The Bills, to, I watch them. Play, they don't play full games. Yes, they beat the Chiefs a few weeks ago. I think the Chiefs will beat the Bills in the playoffs, even if the game's in Buffalo. Baltimore's a good team as well. They have their flaws, of course, their defense, things of that nature. But I trust Lamar Jackson. And to me, getting that big win against the Bucs on a Thursday night, yes, the Bucs are 3-5, and five, but it's still playing against Tom Brady on a short week. And Lamar was head and shoulders the best quarterback in the game. The Ravens now will not play until Monday. They got the Saints Monday Night Football. So Roquan Smith likely will be active for that game. We still have a full week of practice to get ready for, for that game. Tonight, it's Cincinnati and Cleveland. I'm curious to see if Kareem Hunt is, is active in tonight's game. If I'm Cleveland, he's not. Because I'm hoping to trade him before tomorrow's deadline. Cincinnati, last time I checked, was a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I'll double-check for uh, that quickly here. For all of you, they were a three-and-a-half-point favorite this morning, Cincinnati. Cleveland's, again, Jacoby said they're waiting for week 11 for Deshaun Watson to return. But to me, it's not going to matter. Cincinnati got a tough blow last week where Jamar Chase is out four to six weeks. That's a huge loss, but they also have T. Higgins. They also have Tyler Boyd. They have Hayden Hurst. They still have weapons. They got good running backs. But yeah, Bengals are favored by three and a half as a road favorite. It is a division game, but I just don't think that the Cleveland Browns are a very good football team. Their defense has been atrocious. I think Joe Burrow is starting to find his just his momentum. Yes, losing Jamar Chasers, but it will not be the detriment of tonight's game for Cincinnati. So I like the Bengals minus three and a half tonight, but I do not bet favorites. I will not. If you bet yesterday, like I did the Packers, you bet on the Panthers, and the Panthers could have won outright, which would have been nice, but they did not because of DJ Moore. And you bet on what else did I have yesterday? The Washington Commanders with the Green Lizard, Tyler Heineke. You look around, the NFC East, because I didn't talk about the Cowboys yet. The Cowboys crushed the Bears. No big surprise. I will say I thought Dak looked good. I thought their offense looked incredibly dynamic. I've said this the last couple weeks, and I believe it right now to be true. The Cowboys are the second best team in the NFC, followed by, you know, just behind the Eagles. Two NFC East teams are the two best teams in the NFC currently. My third NFC team, as crazy as it sounds, it might be Seattle right now. Yes, the Giants have a better record, but Seattle beat the Giants yesterday. I think the Giants are severely flawed. Although I did look up the Giants' schedule this morning if they go to 6-2. and two. They have Houston after a bye, and then they got the Lions. So their two games after a bye are really favorable. I think they win both of those games. They're 8-2. You're 8-2 after twelve, you know, 10 games. You are making the playoffs. 
you are absolutely making the playoffs. So I expect the Giants to make the postseason in the NFC. I expect the Cowboys, and I expect the Eagles all to make the playoffs in the NFC. Eagles are 7-0. They crushed Pittsburgh yesterday. A.J. Brown had three receiving touchdowns. Jalen Hurts threw four touchdowns. They're 7-0. They keep just chugging along. Now they have the Texans on Thursday night. That should be an entertaining game. Texans versus Eagles. The hapless Texans against the undefeated Eagles. On a Thursday night. I'm sure Al Michaels is just so excited to be able to get to that game and start calling it. Giants are also 6-2. You have 5-3 Seattle. 4-4 four four, Washington football team. Taylor Heineke, 2-0 two, uh, two as a starter this season. Came back and scored a late touchdown against the Colts. Sam Ellinger did play pretty well in his debut. But the Commanders continue to find ways to stay alive in this season. Heineke's a gritty, gutty quarterback. And to me, it's set in stone. When Carson Wentz is healthy, you are not going back to him. It's just not a, it's not an option for me right now. I'm sticking with Taylor Heineke because the team believes in him more and he gives you a better chance to win. Just point blank. Okay. So we'll cover Monday Night Football game tomorrow with Sheamus. We'll Tulsa tomorrow. We're gonna not gonna be able to get to uh, basketball today. We'll, we're gonna talk some basketball tomorrow with Sheamus. Most a lot thing a lot of things to get into, including the fact that the Lakers won their first game. Yesterday, which is a always a big deal when the Lakers do anything, but they won their first game of the season last night, and you also got panic in Brooklyn. Not just to mention Kyrie Irving and his hate speech that he's spewing every other day. So that that's happening. We also got the Six Sixers that are kind of up in the air. Lakers are one and five. The Nets are one and five. Warriors haven't haven't exactly had a great start to the year. Donovan Mitchell looks like an early season MVP candidate for the Cavs who are on fire. We'll talk about all that kind of stuff tomorrow uh, on TTP. But let's get to the story of the day. If the, I teased at the beginning. I'm not going to talk about the Ottawa Senators. Not Montreal. I won't go through the diatribe again. Let's get to it. The Toronto Maple Leafs have lost four straight games. Da, da, da. And Leafs Nation is panicking. Leafs Nation is on fire. They want to burn it to the ground, and they want everybody fired. I was surrounded by Leaf fans today. I get texts from Leaf fans saying, we, can't, we lose to Anaheim, we lose to San Jose, let's fire the coach, let's get rid of Dubas, let's do all this. And now we sit and we're nine games into a season. Nine games into the season, and let me just update people on where we are. Currently, in the Atlantic Division, the Florida Panthers have 11 points. They lead the division. Way, 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 way down with 10 points. Yeah, that's how big a discrepancy there is. You got Toronto, 10. Buffalo, 10. Detroit, 10. Tampa, 10. Montreal, 10. Everybody else, 10 points. Everybody else's bot is just completely together. Everybody is basically tied for first. To quote Dwight True. 
The Toronto Maple Leafs, seeing them have a poor start to a year is not surprising. We're talking about a young team that isn't that young, but they still act like they're really young. That don't exactly have a whole lot of backbone. That have a leadership core of John Tavares, who says nothing, and Austin Matthews, who I think is a little more focused on his hair and is getting a new arm sleeve than playing good hockey. The Toronto Maple Leafs are not going to be in trouble in the regular season. If you're arguing where we're going, I'm not with you on that argument because Sheldon Keefe could remain head coach the remainder of the regular season. You're going to make the, you're going to make the playoffs. If you don't, I'll buy a beer. But you're going to because you have too talented of a team. Austin Matthews will start playing, and you'll find a way. What I find incredibly interesting is Sheldon Keefe is the whipping boy. Sheldon Keefe is the one that gets the flames thrown at him. But there's a clear person that is at fault for this, and that person is Kyle Dubas. Kyle Dubas is the architect of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'm not saying you would fire Kyle Dubas because of nine games. I'm saying Kyle Dubas is going to be at fault because I'll make an early prediction here. The Toronto Maple Leafs are not going to win a Stanley Cup. I don't think they'll win more than one round. If they do, which they have a hard time doing. The Toronto Maple Leafs have a team full of skill with not a lot of heart and not a lot of grit. They are full of Nick Robertsons and Dennis Malgans and puck-moving defensemen who can't move the puck. Justin Hall, Crawl, Giordano. A team full of skilled, soft players that when the going gets tough, fold like a cheap tent. What I don't like and what is a fireball offense to me is coming back with the same team from the year prior where you did not win. But the narrative was we got respect in the handshake line. Tampa, we really felt like we were in that series. We felt a different vibe than the past years. Good for you. Meaning you're still a loser, but you felt like the winners gave you a little extra shake, gave you a little extra bump to say, you know what, you did, you guys did good this year. Maybe next year we'll get to overtime of a Game 7. It wasn't a... A thing to celebrate. It was a loser comment by Sheldon Keefe. And it's a loser argument by Kyle Dubas because he's clearly accepted it. They brought back the same team with no real changes. The only changes being let's bring in Matt Murray, who plays at who played in Sault Ste. Marie, who has less mental fortitude, less mental toughness than Frederick Anderson, who's quit the last two years. Matt Murray's been injured. He's got injury. He can't start games. He's got this problem. He's got that problem. All I know is he can't play. Every time you need him to play, he's not available. So the one solution that you can ponder is let's bring in a goaltender that is about as reliable as I don't even know the fucking analogy on the fly. Here, here, here it goes. Matt Murray is about as reliable a goaltender as I am at being in a fucking Olympic gymnast. I have no balance. I have no coordination. I can't do it. 
I can't go past a goddamn balance beam. He is asked to be your number one goaltender. Sheldon Keefe is taking the brunt of this heat, and I get it. You're the coach. But also, you got to look and say, okay, you made me a shit meal. Well, what, what ingredients were was I given? How was I supposed to make a really nice meal when you gave me just crap lettuce? You gave me crap ingredients, and you asked me just to make something delicious. That's not going to happen. You look at the situation. Justin Hall is playing 20 minutes a night on the second pair because there's no other option. An option right now. Do you watch that game Saturday night? See how easy he got stripped of the puck by Kevin Fiala? It's like taking candy from a baby. It was that easy for Kevin Fiala to do that. Justin Hall is not a great player. That's a given. But there's also what doesn't get talked about enough is coaches putting players in bad situations. Management putting a coach in a bad situation. How about going into the season, we are good as long as Jake Muzzin stays healthy. Again, a stupid proposition that makes no sense because Jake Muzzin is hurt every bleeping year. Our solution is we got to keep this guy who's got multiple concussion history, who's got neck problems, who's an AIDS bandage. We got to keep him healthy. Because if he gets hurt, we're up shit creek without a paddle. Which is what they are. They don't have any solutions. They're going to play Philip Crawl, who is not an NHL player, who people are clamoring for on Twitter to get more minutes. He put two pizzas up the middle last night, tape to fucking tape. Watch the game. If you really want Philip Crawl to get more minutes, you'll lose to Anaheim again. I promise you that. Philly will cave your fucking head in. Roster construction is the issue here. Not the coach. Not the coach. Because Kyle Dubas' philosophy of skill skill, no checking, no mental fortitude. And the Leafs, I can put this on Sheldon Keefe a little bit. He has built a culture of fear, but not a culture of fear for the players. Fear from the coach. Sheldon Keefe is afraid to do anything. Mitch Marner played like absolute dog shit last night. Two goals were directly his fault. Two terrible turnovers that just simply can't happen. And he misses one shift. One. If Pierre Engvall does that, does he miss a shift? I'm not so sure because it's Toronto. But Mitch Marner, two goals were directly his fault. Nope, we're going to keep him in the game. Because it's Mitch Marner and he's our best player and we need to... First off, you need Mitch Marner to play fantastic to beat Anaheim. You've got bigger fucking problems. But he should have sat. Dave Poulin was 100% right on TSN last night after the game, saying he shouldn't have played another shift the whole game. Dave Poulin, bang on. 100% agree. Sheldon Keefe is afraid to bench a player because these soft little young athletes are so bleeping sensitive. 
Matthews and Marner and Nylander, they're not little fucking dolls. Do what you want with them. Bench them. Don't play them. They are not beyond reproach. It makes me sick to see a coach that can't do, he can't coach. Because he's got two hands tied behind his back. Because when a superstar makes a mistake, guess what? If that player is benched, it's it's in the media. It's talked about. People like Chris Johnson are, are criticizing Sheldon Key for benching one of his favorite guys, probably because he gets an interview before Sportsnet does, or however the politics work there. Sheldon Keefe might be fired today. I don't think he's going to. I didn't think he was going to. I got asked by multiple people this morning. I said, nobody's getting, nobody's going anywhere. That was my read. They're not doing anything. It's nine games. It's nine games. Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas are like stepbrothers. They're going to go down together. And... This and watching... It's not a movie I ever want to see again. It's a shit production. Love DiCaprio. Matthew's a great player. Love Jodie Foster. Mitch Marner. Good guy. Bill Nylander. Like him. But that doesn't mean the product is interesting. That doesn't mean I want to keep re-watching this same movie. I hate Titanic. I don't enjoy watching the least. They're not a fun team to watch for me. I have to. Pulling teeth. This team will only get to its full potential by reversing course. By not doubling down, not tripling down, Kyle Dubas' number of years on mistakes. But building a new roster. Maybe Mitch Marner has to be traded. That might sound crazy. Good players get traded. Good players get traded. Seth Jones was traded. Seth Jones is a pretty good player. Is he not? Patrick Kane might get traded this year. Good players on term do get moved. It's rare. But when you don't have any trust in goaltending, when your defensive depth stinks, you have to do things. You have to make a decision. Sheldon Keefe should not be taking the jabs right now. Kyle Dubas is the most at fault for this team being hapless, for being weak, for having a bunch of star players that play like babies. Another thing, Mitch Marner should have got benched last night, 100%. But Austin Matthews has been crap so far this year. Crap. And why aren't we hearing about it? When Connor McDavid goes through a slump, you hear about it. You hear about it because, oh, well, McDavid's not playing well. He's frustrated. He's slamming his stick. Austin Matthews is bitching. He's taking minor penalties, which he never does because he doesn't play with any kind of fervor. He's not playing. There's more than just scoring goals in a game, and he's out in the. He's not back checking whatsoever. His heart isn't in it. He's not giving his all. What? Not even close. Coming back for the back end, my God. And Jacob Chikrin's hurt all the time. That's always the solution. We can trade for Jacob Chikrin, okay. 
Okay, that's that's your solution. Try it. Trade for another injured player. I mean, Toronto will likely do it. I mean, they love trading for injured players that get injured again and again. History tells us things. History kind of informs us on what happened and what's happened with these people. History could tell us that, you know what? Jonathan Taves, pretty good hockey player. Get him healthy, get him on the ice, put up with some good players. Maybe he can find it again. He's got five goals already this year. He looks pretty good. Nearly a point per game. Jacob Chikrin's had four to five injuries already in his NHL career. Nine times out of ten, history tells you that player's going to get injured again. Like a Jake Muzzin. Like a lot of guys around the league. You're going to trade the farm for Jacob Chikrin? Guess what, Leafs Nation? If that's your solution, the Arizona Coyotes might play in a university barn. But they still got competent people running the show there in their hockey department. And guess what? They see you struggling. They know how bad your defense core is. They're not just going to give that player away for Nick Robertson and Callie Yarncroft. Nick Robertson's trade chips right now are limited. Since since he got that great first game, what's he done? Dennis Malgin scored a goal last night. They're the same player. Same player. Perimeter guys that don't make any... He doesn't get to the middle of the ice. Hangs out to the outside. Does he look like an Andy Chowler to you? Well, if he do, maybe he does because he's surrounded by crap. This release team, I don't see them firing anybody. I don't see any major changes. You know what the major change will be when everybody's clamoring for something? Here's an early prediction. They'll practice tomorrow. Likely by the time we go live tomorrow, I'll know this information. Justin Hall is going to be a healthy scratch on Wednesday night. That's going to be the big news. Don't fear. Justin Hall, who you all hate, is a healthy scratch because Timothy Lilligren is back. We can put Riley and Brody together, and then we can put Lilligren with Giordano in the third pair, and who the fuck knows is going to play with Sandy. Maybe Philip Kral, the Mr. Pizza, right up the middle, will play with him. The big news out of Toronto, don't expect much. The big thing I can predict, Justin Hall is going to be a healthy scratch Wednesday night. That makes Leaf fans happy. If that's going to change your season, if that's really what gets you, uh, wakes you up in the morning, good for you. It's a dumb stance. You have a good team. But don't look at the coach. Don't look at Justin Hall. This is about roster construction and your general manager failing to build a deep, a stable, and a balanced team. Point and the period. Let's move off this topic before I vomit. I mentioned how close everybody is in the East. In the in the Central, pardon me, the Metropolitan, New Jersey leads the Metropolitan Division with 12 points. You have Philly with 11, Carolina with 11, Isles 10, Washington 10. The Rangers are, are tied with 12 as well. And then you have Pittsburgh with nine. Pittsburgh's in last place after losing four in a row on the West Coast. Really, really tight everywhere across the league. New Jersey off to a hot start. Jesper Bratt is continuing on his hot pace last year. If you don't got him in fantasy, he's a guy to look to pick up. He's he's a point getter. He's a point machine. Isles are turning it around in Philly, who have 11 points. They will play the Leafs tomorrow night. As, uh, Wednesday night, sorry. So uh, Philly goes into Toronto tomorrow night after all the chaos over the last couple hours, over the last 48 hours, really, with the Maple Leafs and their trip out west. 
John Tortorella against Elise and his structured defense. That should be fun for Matthews and Co. Matthew Boldy. Here's a player uh, for Minnesota. He's a guy's really impressing me. I, I watched him his first game last year. He was playing on ESPN. He plays for the Minnesota Wild against the Boston Bruins at the time because he played at Boston College. He scored two goals in his NHL debut. He's never gone back down to the AHL since. He's got six goals already in the early campaign of this season. Really in, uh, intriguing game last night between the Blackhawks and the Wild. The Wild ended up pulling it out with a late uh, gimmick win, but didn't watch that. But the rest of the game was incredibly entertaining. Andreas Athanasiu scored a highlight real goal for the Blackhawks. Matthew Boldy tallied two for Minnesota. And a big win for Minnesota, despite Chicago coming up. You're starting the season with a relatively good record. And there's also that this – I wanted to point this out because I brought this up the last couple of weeks on the show. There was a story written this weekend about Shane Wright. It wasn't TSN. wasn't Sportsnet. It was a lesser-known hockey. It was to the daily face-off or something like that. It's a hockey hockey. It's hockey brand. They wrote a story about how Shane Wright's grandparents they played three games in four nights. Shane Wright was a healthy scratch in all three of the games. His grandparents did not get to see him play, which is a tough pill to swallow. I, I will say that right off the right from Jump Street here. But I'm. It's finally being written. It's being talked about that Shane Wright is not playing in Seattle. He's played four games this year. He's been a healthy scratch for the other five. Send him back down to junior. This must be a, really a debate with him and how to do it and where, where he's going to go. If they want to see if Kingston will trade his rice so he can be in a contender to win the Memorial Cup, play on the world junior team. His, it's not helping his development sitting in the press box. He'll get better playing in junior. There's no shame in this. I have nothing against Shane Wright. I just find it really interesting. That you don't hear anything about it. Credit to, I believe, Daily Faceoff for writing the story, although I was on it about two weeks before you. So, you're late to the party, but listen to the point, and you don't got to read Daily Faceoff because your boy's been chatting about this for a minute or two. Finally, World Series. We got a split. I thought we'd have a split after the first two games. I did not think they'd go the way they did. I mean, 5-0 Astros lead on Friday night. I'm watching the game. All of a sudden, the Phillies roar back with JT Romuto with three top of the 11th for the Phillies. Massive hit for him. Massive game. David Robertson gets the save. Kyle Tucker's two-one run game was ruined. Game two, Framber Valdez continues to be a fantastic postseason pitcher. Goes six and a third, one earned run. And you just a great pitching uh, effort. Zach Wheeler was not as great for the Phillies. After the first two games, my key here is Jose Altuve is the X factor for the Houston Astros. Why? He went two for three with a walk on Saturday night. He scored twice, but you get him on base, it creates more of a challenge for the pitcher with Jordan Alvarez coming up and Kyle Tucker coming up, and Jeremy Pena. These are the biggest bats they have. He creates an opportunity to score more runs, and he's just a guy that usually provides great at-bats. He can take walks. So look, for, I think Jose Altuve is the most crucial player in this series if the Houston Astros are going to win. Bullpens have been solid for both teams. 
in, uh, in the first game, it was a struggling start for Noah, then Verlander was rough as well. Valdez was great. Zach Lee was not so great. Tonight you have Noah Syndergaard taking the, taking the mound for the Phillies. He was traded at the trade deadline from the Angels. He gets a World Series start, which is, which is crazy to think about, against Lance McCullers Jr., who is just another really, really solid postseason pitcher for the Astros. So an interesting pitching matchup tonight. It's a 9-0-3 first pitch. In Philadelphia, it's Halloween. I think you'll see a lot of crazy outfits tonight in Philly. Should be a fun game. Should be a great atmosphere tonight. Game three, Thor against Lance McCullers. I'm going with McCullers. He's a better pitcher. He's been in these situations before. I don't see the Phillies giving Syndergaard a very long leash. I don't think he goes more than four innings. I like McCullers. He goes six innings tonight, two arm runs or less, and the Astros take a 2-1 lead in this series. They play the next three nights in Philadelphia. Could be over. We could be going back to Houston for the for the weekend. We'll wait and see. I mentioned tomorrow we're going to talk about basketball on the show when Seamus joins. We will get into this Leaf story again. If there's any new developments, we'll get into it. Seamus will have his say about his team. We'll chat about really the, the crowded Eastern Conference to start the season and the players that have stood out for both me and Seamus. And we'll talk World Series as well. And we'll recap uh, Monday Night Football. So, fun Monday show. Lots coming this week here on To The Point. Hope everybody uh, enjoys their Halloween. Don't know if you're dressing up. Don't know if you're handing out candy. But whatever you're doing on this made-up holiday, enjoy it. And for all the kids out there, don't come trick-or-treating at my place because I don't have any candy and my lights are off. But until tomorrow, have a great night, everybody. This is To The Point.